Today, we're going to be reviewing The Comedian, Hell or High Water, Nocturnal Animals, and then talk about some upcoming films and wrap it all up with Tube Talk. So stay tuned. Welcome to The Real Review. Welcome to The Real Review, sponsored by Parametric and Lazy Ape Studios, where you get some of the latest happenings, real thoughts, and perspectives in the world of film and television. I am here with Matt, can't afford a new car. Hey, and who am I today, Matt? Everybody, I'm here with Joel Tom Brady Cunningham. Oh, fabulous. Hashtag Super Bowl. I'm not a very sporty fellow, so I'll take that as meaning I'm a very attractive fellow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just, you know, hashtag Super Bowl. That's hashtag it. Super Bowl. Well, <laughs> welcome everybody to the podcast. Um, we are so excited to be here to talk to you guys a little bit about some film and some television. We're going to be getting to a couple of reviews that we're doing today on some films that we had a chance to watch, as well as uh, some tube talk and some films that are coming out later this week for us. But uh, we just want to remind you guys that are tuning in for the very first time that uh, The Real Review is a show, it's a podcast, if you will, where we talk about films and television from a perspective that is kind of the middle road between the fan and the critic. Right. Yeah, so Matt represents more of the fan perspective, where I tend to represent more of the... What would you say, Matt? The the negative perspective. <laughs> <laughs> no, the just, negative. Just more critical towards all the filmmaking elements. And, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that's how we kind of handle things here. It's a fun way of kind of getting that middle road between uh, the Rotten Tomato scores, if you will. So we also wanted to just kind of announce real quick something that we've been doing and finalized with our contest right. for the podcast. So Matt, do you want to make an official announcement here? Yeah. So as you know, we've been running a contest for this uh, whole last month Yes. Uh, to win a $50 gift card gift card to the movie theater of your choice and uh, we have a winner yes we do and our winner is jesse christensen congratulations Yay! yeah jesse thank you so much for uh for subscribing for writing your review um and yeah we're definitely gonna uh, reach out to you here and, and get you get you that gift card absolutely we are just really happy and excited for all of you who entered and we're going to be doing more contests in the future yes we've got other ideas for different ways we want to do contents we love to get people interacting and kind of being a part of the show as much as we can. So Matt's come up with a couple ideas and I've come up with a couple ideas and we'll get those going in just a little bit here. So stay tuned for that. But for right now, let's go ahead and jump into a very special segment we like to call Critic Corner. So what do we have today for Critic Corner, Joel? Yeah, so this Critic Corner is actually inspired by a YouTube video that I happened to watch about a month ago and really clicked with. It just kind of immediately, I related to it. And, you know, there's a lot of dumb content, unfortunately, that can be on YouTube. But there are also, there are also some really good people that are on YouTube that are talking about film and talking about cinema and critiquing it and helping people to understand. So I definitely encourage you, you know, if you get a chance, if you want an interesting, simple way of kind of learning how to critique films a little bit, you know, look around on YouTube and find some of this stuff that's out there. But this one in particular was talking about this concept of passable films. Okay. And immediately when this person said that, I'm like, boom, that is exactly what I feel. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, Matt, but over the last few years of film and media that have been coming out in theaters, there's been this overwhelming sense that films are no longer kind of what they once were. And it's this movement solely towards films being basically passable in a passable category. And I'll list a few examples here. And obviously these are subjective, but I think you'll get a general sense of kind of where I'm coming from after sure. I start listing these. So, uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, The Nice Guys, Doctor Strange, Suicide Squad, Jason Bourne, Central Intelligence, 
Jurassic World is a great example. These are all films that, for the most part, are they're okay, they're passable, but they're not these kind of films that when you go and see them, they leave you with this strong emotional sense, this strong sense of, wow, I really went somewhere with that. I really got something from that. Now, they might have fun characters. Right. They might have fun moments. They might have an interesting story structure. Or dinosaurs. Or dinosaurs <laughs> eating people. Right. But they're not films that are really going to leave you with a lasting sense of, wow, that really took me somewhere. Right. And that's really where a lot of this comes from and really where it kind of is upsetting. So we talked about a film just recently in one of our episodes, which is A Monster Calls. Yeah. And both you and I, Matt, both said such amazing things about this film. And we yes. really, really enjoyed it. We both ranked it very highly. And one of the reasons why this film was such a good film and one of the things that it did so well that a lot of these films failed to do is it did something that was very pointed. It, it basically, every element of the story took you somewhere and had a purpose for existing and taking you in one direction or another. Whereas a film like you know, just to say, you know, Jurassic World. If you look at the original Jurassic in comparison, all the characters had a purpose. All the characters did something. They function in a way and in a purpose. All the stories, all the different people, there was an outcome to something that had been set up prior and earlier in the story. And everything pointed towards this, like, you know, you can just tell things are slowly going to fall apart and they're not going to work. Right. Whereas in Jurassic World, it was kind of a byproduct of just a really smart dinosaur. Like right, one right. dinosaur managed to figure out how to break the system. And so the whole world collapses, right? But there was no buildup. There was no identification of anything tying into itself. And additionally, there was a lot of basically pointless story arcs. It's like this person's only getting, you know, put here to get killed. Like literally the lady that's supposed to watch the two children in Jurassic World only exists in that realm to just get eaten right. later on in the story. <laughs> in a very brutal manner. <laughs> yeah. And so what this is called and what this is, this idea comes down to is a film that's totally focused. Tone has to do with basically a setup. It has to do with um, an action. It has to do with a movement of emotion and a process, the beats of a story, if you will, when you break it down into a beat, all kind of points you in a similar direction. And you're able to focus your attention down the line on a certain thing that you're expecting or thinking could potentially happen. Um, so I would also say that this is this comes from a lot of films having a lot of cliches these days sure. and a lot of films kind of being you know, obvious with, well, they're just going to go in this direction. It's just going to happen because we've seen so many films now. We know so many films are just going to go in a certain direction that they do. A level and, of predictability. Right. Predictability. Yeah. And a lot of that comes with the territory of just studios making films that are sequels or right. based on a pre-existing kind of uh, concept or idea that's already been out there for many years. Right. Right. So um, it's just something that when you're looking at films and you're, you're getting this general sense of just kind of, I will use the word milieu, um, this boringness or this blandness kind of maybe to films that they're good, but they're just not leaving you with. Um, one of the things that I'm constantly look on looking out for is these films that really break through of just being kind of a passable film. Right. And it goes into being like a really good film. Yeah. Like a monster calls. Yeah. So that's it, Matt. Do you have any questions on that? No, I, I, I would agree for the most part. I understand the concept of passable films, but I think at the same time, like you said earlier, it's it's subjective. It's kind of mm -hmm. what you might consider as a passable film. For me, I wouldn't lump Jurassic World in that thing, <laughs> but here's a reason why. Let me yeah. just tell you why. is because there's that nostalgia property that took me back to being a six-year-old, yeah. seeing the original Jurassic Park in the theater that yeah. maybe brought me back to that awe and wonderment of yeah. seeing it all again. And I, I think there's, there's a special place, you know, almost like this gray area, you know, of what could be <laughs> yeah. considered passable. And you're right. It's a subjective thing. Yeah. Um, 
I'll say, and I'll say another word, and this is one we can talk about in a future Critic Corner. Okay. And it's the idea of intertextuality. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a deep one. So, that sounds naughty, too. Okay, yeah. so. Um, and, we can talk about right. it in a future Critic Corner, but that's a big part of what I think you're saying. I would say that Arrival 2 would be up there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, yeah. That that movie blew me away. A Monster Calls was great. Um, and I, anyway, so yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I totally understand this concept. Um I get, I get it. Suicide Squad, definitely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I know that's awesome. That's really awesome. So that's going to take us into our next segment where we're going to actually start off our reviews. Now, Joel, what's the first movie you got for us? Yeah, so we're going to be starting off by talking about a film called The Comedian. Ah. Uh, Yes, this is a film that just got released this week. And um, the plot synopsis of it is basically on IMDb, a look at the life of an aging insult comet named Jack Burke. It's directed by Taylor Hackford, and it stars Robert De Niro, Leslie Mann, Harvey Keitel, and Danny DeVito. In this huh. film. Yeah, so it's an interesting cast. I don't recognize any of these people as having worked together on a lot of films before, especially with Leslie Mann. It's an old school crew, though. Yeah, yeah it's a pretty old school crew. It's a group of people that I think in a lot of ways have some pretty solid acting chops and are known for doing some pretty solid project projects that are out there. I mean, especially Robert De Niro. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the thing with this film is it's directed by a guy that as well, I, I would have thought would have... Okay, so I will say this. The film okay. did not hit me very well. Okay. It was not a great film in my mind. <laughs> All right. Um, but I would have expected a lot better. I mean, this was a film that was directed by the guy that did Ray. Um, he did Devil's Advocate. Um, he done. He's done projects that are bigger in scope yeah, and yeah. have done successful things. Now, you know, Ray wasn't the best film ever, right? but it was good. Yeah. It was a good, solid film, and it told a good story. It's very cohesive. Devil's Advocate, you know, was a kind of a weird film, a really dark film at times, and has some really crazy stuff in it, but was overall very well-structured and very well-pointed. Right. And probably one of the better acting jobs I've actually seen Keanu Reeves right. do. That's <laughs> so, a while ago, too. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So with this film, I went into it, and really, I did not see, I think I saw one preview for it, I did not see a lot of advertisement kind of coming out for it. And honestly, as well, this week has not been a good week for films. You know, we've had three films come out. Um, the Comedian, you had uh, Space Between Us, and Rings. Right. And none of those films right now are doing very well. No, they're not. Yeah, so it's kind of <laughs> like I had to pick, you know, yeah. pick your poison. And I think um, Rings, I'm not a big fan of the horror genre, as we've talked about. Right. A Space Between Us just did not emote any sense of connection or in, <laughs> and so this film kind of has more of that it has that that idea of a film that I really do like which is kind of chronicling the life of a person um, generally they need to be based upon a real story which helps me connect with them better this right. one didn't but I thought well you know it'll be interesting Robert De Niro is a great actor at times it can be a really fun thing and these other films that have come out by Taylor Hackford have been pretty good for me so I went into this with very little expectations and unfortunately the film still did not even meet those very oh, low bummer. expectations. Yeah. Bummer. The first thing that stood out for me in this film that really just hurt was all of the characters in the film seem to have this angry vendetta and anger towards each other. Mm. They really all just seem to hate each other. And it really didn't make any sense. And you can say, well, it's based in New York. And so, you know, there's this idea that, you know, all New Yorkers are kind of angry and aggressive and mean. But th- some of these people are like, they're friends or their family or they've known each other for a really long time, yet they all just seem to hate each other. Was it played up for comedy? Well, or? at times it was okay. because, you know, this is a story about a, you know, a comedian and obviously he's a bit of a shock kind of a comedian. He's an insult comic. And so he's going to come up with insults. But 
a number of the other characters are non, you know, like Danny DeVito plays his brother in the story and he's not an insult comic, but yet he, he loves, but hates his brother and says really horrible things to him. You know, Leslie Mann character, Mann's character. And I will say this, I'm not a huge fan of Leslie Mann. I've seen her in a couple things that I was like, okay, she, she's, she's passable, but she does, she tends to do this thing in all of her films that I just, any character that I really don't like, it really annoys me is they have this kind of general sense of just like, I'm better than everybody and everybody else is wrong and I'm just going to say what I want and just do what I want and you just have to make me happy. It's kind of this weird sense of like, Mm. you know, importance in their own mind and that can be done well in certain types of scripts where that shows them failing and doing bad things and it's kind of like that for her at the beginning but then as the script kind of goes along, it really, it's like, well, we're just going to now, she has these issues due to it, yeah. but it's always done in this like self-righteous way where it was like, well, it was still their fault. And so then she gets hooked up in this relationship with Robert De Niro's character, which is not really, it doesn't really, it, it basically comes across as a relationship that only took place because the two people have massive issues uh, okay. and everything. And th- this was the other thing. It was very much a plot of convenience. There were so many times in the story where everything really just felt like a setup to get Robert De Niro to do some sort of stand up. Huh. So instead of actually having story elements that I felt like were significant, that drove the plot along, that added depth and dramatic tension, it was kind of like they would have like a like a five minute argument between people that would eventually result in some sort of situation where Robert De Niro has to get up on stage somewhere and tell jokes. And the jokes, that was the, the thing is the jokes were very kind of over the top at times. Right, right. And that's one person, you know, some people like really insulting kind of horrible sexual graphic kind of jokes and some people don't. I didn't really have one impression or the other. I've listened to all different types of comedy. Yeah. And those aren't bad. Those are probably the highlights actually of the film. Really? The actual stand-up parts? Yeah, but where it really starts to break down is then in that dramatic tension between the characters where it just seems like everybody hates each other to just hate each other. Right. And it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So Matt, did you, have you seen anything about this? Do you know anything about this? Do you have any questions? No, that's the big thing um, on, on my end uh, is, is I agree. There wasn't a lot of marketing for this. Yeah. Which is usually a bad sign. Right. Yeah. Um, So they either used all their marketing money in the production or something. (laughs) Yeah. um, But, or they're just not confident in it. Yeah. Um, If I, if I had to say anything, I would say that this had a, a really large cast of characters. I mean, they had, a ton of comedians that kind of, I think, run the circuits together and are right. kind of knowing each other. And so I think probably a lot of their budget probably would have been to to bring this cast of characters into the film. Right. Yeah. Um, and when you have a, a cast of characters, um, especially with a bunch that are like a bunch of classic people, you know, yeah. and, and just the gathering together, that can bring a sense of, oh, this is going to be kind of cool with all these like cool uh, actors and actresses, you know, um, all together on on film. But at the same time, if it's not a good script, it's not going to work itself out. Another, mm-hmm. uh, an example of that was um, where they had a ton of people. I was like, wow, this is going to be interesting. It was um, Aloha. Yeah. And that wasn't a very good movie. Nah. So, um, you know, you can have a bunch of people in it. Yeah. But if it's not good, it's not going to be good. So I'm kind of bummed out about that. Yeah. And so I, I'll say this as well. I think there was major issues in regards to setup and payoff. This character. So, for an example, Cloris Leachman plays this character named May Connor, who's kind of this famous comedian that's getting older and is about to pass. And so, um, Robert De Niro's character gets 
this invited to basically be a part of this roast that they're doing of her to kind of honor her as well for what she's done. And so I'm going to spoil things here for people. If they don't want to hear, then, you know, maybe skip forward a couple minutes, but I don't think you're missing much if you keep listening. So (laughs) Robert De Niro basically gets invited and he gets up there and he starts doing the speech. And then, and he has this moment where at the beginning of the, the, the night, he really connects with her and he really kind of, they see each other and they understand each other. And I think the idea there was you're supposed to get this idea that Robert De Niro's actually really, he's really good and he should be in this group of people that are, you know, looking down on him for yeah. whatever reason. But basically what happens, he gets up there and he starts telling the jokes and then Cloris Leachman's character actually dies during oh the gosh. middle of the ceremony, right? And it's this crazy scenario where you're thinking, that's kind of fu- like the ex- explaining that is kind of funny, right? You know, that a stand up comedian goes and he tells jokes, and they're so funny that one of the people that's there to be honored ends up dying from the jokes, right? Right. So it's kind of funny, it's weird, but they play it so strangely. You don't know if this is a comedy thing or a drama thing. And it's, it's like, once it's done, it's done. And then they never even bring it up again. And it's like that with the whole script, you know, there's a scene where he goes to um, his, his daughter, well, his husband's or not his husband, sorry, his brother's <laughs> daughter's wedding, right? Okay. And she invites him to basically go up on stage and to tell these jokes. And he goes up there and he tells some really nasty, like horrible jokes and it just, but he's really nice about it at the end. Right. And so his brother and his brother's wife get really pissed off and they're like, how dare you do that? And they get in this huge fight with with him and he brings Leslie Mann's character and they get in this huge fight and then they leave and then there's like one little scene afterward where they kind of talk about it for a minute and then they never bring it up again and it's like that the whole movie that's weird there's like all these things like even the beginning the very beginning where he has to go do these kind of community service hours because he gets in a fist not a fist fight he basically hits a guy with the microphone that's giving him a hard time while he's on stage and is filming this like reality show and so he has to go do these these basically these community service hours where he meets Leslie Mann's character and the only reason that really seems to have happened was so he could meet Leslie Mann because after that's done, they never bring it up again. So it just really left me feeling kind of just blah, yeah, very bland and very stupid. The comedy is funny. So yeah. if you want to go see a movie that has some pretty funny stand-up comedy, then that's great. But you can probably just go download a, you know, an audio, you know, or Netflix special from right, some right. other guy, yeah. you know, <laughs> or oh, some man. other girl. Yeah. That is a bummer. Yeah. So on a scale of one to 100, I would rate this probably a, Wow. Uh, 62 or 61, probably a D minus. Uh, D minus. Yeah. Close to the F plus. Yikes. Yeah. So that is all that I have to say about the comedian, Matt. What do we have coming up next? Yeah. I want to take a second to actually talk about Hell or High Water. Okay. Uh, this movie came out uh, several months ago, but I wanted to bring it up because it is uh, getting some Oscar nods and some attention. And I did get a chance to see this recently and uh, I was just kind of right away pretty impressed but Mm -hmm. this movie is it's about um a divorced father and his ex-con older brother who resort to a desperate scheme in order to save their family's ranch in west texas uh now it stars chris pine um it's got ben foster jeff bridges and um is directed by david mckenzie so going into this and seeing the the trailers, honestly, I thought it was a Western at first, mm-hmm. uh, but it's actually modern day. It just takes place uh, in basically <laughs> the, just the desert in a very rural <laughs> part of the of of Texas. So um, the this I didn't know what to expect going into it because all I had seen in marketing was just photos and images. I didn't see any trailers going into it, but I got saw it had some Oscar nods. I was like, all right, cool, let's check this out. So. Um, 
let me just say right off the bat, Ben Foster is awesome. Hmm. Um, actually, all the acting is wonderful across the board, but Ben Foster is, is something special. He, in every movie that I see him in, with the exception of maybe Warcraft, um, <laughs> he he brings this like this this craziness, and he plays very similar characters in a lot of the movies that he's in, like Three Ten to Yuma, or even even the one that I always go back to is um, Thirty Days of Night. Mm-hmm. He just plays this like this kind of crazy, like just this unhinged character, um, and he plays it in that same type of character here in this movie as well. And so Chris Pine and um, and his brother Ben Foster in the movie, um, they they start a a series of essentially robbing banks in order to to get some money um, to help uh, save this farm. And and the, what's brilliant about this this movie is that it's kind of the slow burn where you don't know why. It kind of opens with them robbing banks, and you don't know why they're robbing banks. And you're like, what what is going on? And one thing that this uh, film does incredibly well is is the whole uh, the whole idea of showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. You don't get all this exposition about what's going on. It's it's all this like uh, all this stuff that's happening. And it's just through these random like one off sentences that they say things to each other. You start putting the pieces together. What what the big story is that's going on. So simultaneously while that's happening, while they're robbing banks, Jeff Bridges' character, who's a sheriff, is trying to figure it out. There's basically uh, he's on his way out. He's about to retire. He's kind of with this guy that's going to eventually, you know, do it on his own, um, who's kind of training up and, um, they're, they're trying to to catch these guys essentially. And that, that's, that's about as far as I can go into it without spoiling anything. (laughs) But, um, it really, really was a fantastically made film. It didn't, you know, not only did it look great, but again, it was, it was acted in such a way that was believable. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I could really, get into what was happening and there was not a lot of suspense in like the necessary like plot elements but there was a lot of suspense in the fact like i was saying earlier why are they doing what they're doing you don't get all of that up front you're like okay they're they're robbing banks what's happening and in later on it's not spoiling because it's in the in the marketing i just never (laughs) saw the trailers for it um but yeah i was really impressed with this film Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I, I I hope it I hope it does something at the Oscars because I I was really impressed. It came out in like August, I think. Yeah, it came out a while back. Right. It's funny how you're explaining this. It's sounding very similar, almost in tone and maybe theme or concept of like No Country for Old Men. A little bit, right? I wouldn't say uh, to that degree, but mm. but yeah. Do you feel like it went to and not to unduly compare the two, but do you think that it went to maybe similar heights of dramatic tension or suspense? Or maybe thematically, you know, kind of where No Country would have gone? Or do you feel like it mostly was just in the action that was happening on screen? Uh, it was mostly in the action that was happening. It wasn't it wasn't nearly that level. Um, uh, as far as the dramatic tension is concerned, I mean, it did have dramatic tension. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of bits where something happens where especially Jeff Bridges character and he does he does great like the whole time you're like you're like he's this just one kind of this old bitter guy. And then something happens and you see, you see his character and it's a dramatic thing that happens. Mm. You see his character shift, uh, from being this kind of old grumpy guy to, to someone who's like deeply caring, like, and you're like, Whoa. And it, it really, it changes his whole story. Mm. And, and then you start caring for him 
um, cause I personally didn't really care for, <laughs> for his, his plight and his mission, um, until that thing happened. And, um, as far as, uh, uh no country for old men, it doesn't reach that dramatic, uh, that height. Mm. I would say it's, it's pretty, pretty good and it's effective in context of the rest of the story. Yeah. Um, but not quite there. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah. And I think with no country, that really, I mean, and this is something that the Coen brothers kind of tend to do. It was more about the story. Right. And there's very creative, interesting characters within the story, but it was much, their their films tend to be much more about the strength of the overall story structure and moving forward and had such a kind of a weird non-ending, you right. know, with No Country for Old Men. So with this film, I guess what you're saying is that the characters were a really strong sort of integral part of the story. And it felt real. Yeah. So like when you say like no country, really interesting characters, yes. You're like, wow, these are all very interesting, mm-hmm. um, exuberant characters in their own way. And yeah. um, these maybe uh, more reserved, especially Chris Pine's character. He wasn't like this like super memorable personality, but yeah. he, he was believable. Like I felt like he was this like legitimate guy that he was portraying. Mm-hmm. Um, even Ben Foster with this kind of unhinged like personality that felt like okay i can kind of believe how this guy is kind of the crazy half of this guy's uh chris pine's brother yeah um and yeah i don't know i just i just really really enjoyed it i mean if i had to 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 grade it to give it something you know scale of one to a hundred i give it a 90 a minus i thought i really i really enjoyed it um and yeah, again, I'd like to see it get some love at the Oscars. Awesome. And that's all for Hell or High Water. Joel, what do we have next? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about a film that came out actually last month. Um, well, to now, almost two months ago. Right, right. A film called Nocturnal Animals. And the reason we're bringing this up now, we didn't have a chance to discuss it uh, when the film first came out. But I really do feel like it's a an important film for us to discuss. I feel like it's right. a good enough film, especially considering how this week has been for film releases right. to kind of revisit this film and, and <laughs> have a brief discussion about it. So this film is directed by Tom Ford. It stars Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon. And basically it tells the story of a wealthy art gallery owner who's haunted by her ex-husband's novel, a violent thriller she interprets as a symbolic revenge tale. And I will say this as well. This is not a movie for the faint of heart. This film has some very dark kind of, not dangerous, but bad, sad kind of moments to it. Right, right. It's a film that's R for a reason, and it's got some really crazy things that kind of happen in the script. But um, it is a very good film. It is a film that is definitely worth, if you're if you're into watching films that have, again, kind of aren't what I consider to be in the passable realm, um, a great film to watch. It is a very suspenseful, interesting kind of deep film that leaves you with this sense of kind of wondering about the decisions that you make in your life and whether or not the decisions that you're making kind of are positive or negative in where they're going to inform you. And so it kind of has Amy Adams, who's been doing a great job since, you know, that last last year she's been doing a great job. She did Arrival and she did this film. And um, I was actually really sad that she didn't get nominated for any awards for this. Right, right. Yeah, I felt like she actually deserved some pretty good recognition for it. And it actually has um, Aaron Taylor Johnson in it as well. Yeah. Um, and he does an amazing job. He's kind of an antagonistic character. And I so, heard that, yeah. Yeah, so to kind of give like a brief synopsis of the story just real quick that kind of sets everything up is, you know, Amy Adams plays this character that, you know, she's this art gallery owner and she she gets this book from her ex-husband who's written and he's a writer that she kind of 
divorced or broke up with at some point, but was together with. And he basically says like, Hey, read this book that I've written. I want, I want you to check it out. And so she starts reading the book and a majority of the film actually takes place in sort of a re not a reenactment, but a representation of what the book is explaining. Ah, and so, so it's the, kind of unconventional in that Correct. Okay. And so Jake Gyllenhaal plays this character that is in the story that she's reading. And the, the wife in the film is played by Isla, Isla Fisher. And this is actually a really good role for her. She did a really good job. It's, it's the first time I think I've personally seen her take on a role this kind of dramatic Oh wow! Um, okay, in, yeah. In a while, and so she usually kind of plays like a comedy, kind of funny girl, right? Um, or more silly type films, and this was actually a really dark, kind of deep role at times. Oh, wow. Okay. And so the story kind of goes along where she's kind of reading this novel, but then it's kind of informing the things that are happening in the real world, and it's kind of taking on a level of deeper meaning, and you're left with these questions: that is what's happening in the story representative and symbolic of the real world, or is there is it just kind of a story? And it ends with this. Really interesting note, and I don't want to spoil that for anybody because that's a really important part to the script. Please don't. <laughs> but yeah, but it all builds and it builds and it builds and it's tense and there's tension and it's leaves you with this amazing. It's it, it it films don't often do this, but it gets to a point with the script where you're getting to a resolve point and you're left feeling resolved, but you don't know if that resolution is good or bad or where it kind of is at. And that sounds like it could be bad because it's like, well, you didn't you didn't get any resolution. But the resolution in itself is to make you think and to make you ponder and to make you wonder what was right here, what was wrong here. And so it asks deeper questions of you. Right. And it asks deeper questions just, I think, due to the fact that she's reading a story in the script, like the film itself has her reading a story, creates this sense of kind of fictional metaphor and fictional depth that would automatically make you start like if you're reading a story yourself you would have to imagine a lot of things and think of how things look and are connected and it does weirdly the same thing in the script of the film and so there's levels and there's layers there and they're very deep and so again I don't want to spoil anything but I think Jake Gyllenhaal does an amazing job with the story Um, I think Aaron Taylor Johnson as well plays a really good you know, there was a lot of people attacking him for kind of his flatness in Godzilla. Right. <laughs> and that was not here at all. And Tom Ford, man, this is only the second film I know of his that he's directed. But he just, like in my mind, he just knocked it out of the park here. And I just wanted to mention two of the things. So I know he had some questions about it. But um, the cinematographer, Seamus McGarvey, an amazing job as well with the visuals. He did um, Pan. He also did Godzilla. And he's done an episode of Black Mirror, which is one of my favorite um television shows that's on Netflix. Um, He did a really, really good job with the cinematography here. A lot of the shots just have a really strong sense of purpose and meaning and depth to them and really focusing where it makes you feel uncomfortable, you know, at times. And then the last thing I will say, and then we can get some questions is um, Abel Korzeniowski, I believe that's how it's pronounced. (laughs) He was the, the composer. And I would say that this film works so well not just because of the story elements and the acting from like Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal, but also because of the composition and the music. The music just ties in so well and it really creates a deep sense of kind of darkness and I don't know how to explain it, but suspense. Okay. You know, there's yeah. like kind of this building tension that's really in there because of the composing and it, it, it doesn't go too far. You know, there's been other films that, you know, the, the music can kind of like overpower the scene, but there were scenes like where it really needed an emotional cue to kind of 
show you like, hey, this is where this is at. And it did a great job with that. Hopefully I'm not being too vague here. I'm right. really, really trying <laughs> That's hard okay. That's not totally to spoil anything. So Matt, what, what questions do you have? Um, when you, well, when you were talking about earlier, you are talking about the different layers to it. You are talking about the ending, kind of having a resolution. You're like, okay. But then you're like, it left you, leaves you thinking. So you're like, oh, wait, really? How do I feel about that? That yeah. kind of a thing. Um, it made me think of Inception. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Kind of in that way. Um, yeah. Also, the... I'm just curious too, um, and how because because Michael Shannon got nominated for mm-hmm. uh, best supporting actor for his role in this. I mean, yes. how how was that? How was he? He, I I think his role in this was it, it was it was an important part to the script, but at the same time, I don't necessarily feel like I, he did a good acting job. Sure. So it, I think it's kind of like out of all the people that you're going to pick to get nominated, it's weird to me that Michael Shannon would be the one. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. I heard that a lot of people were wondering why Aaron Taylor Johnson got the snub on that because he got the Golden Globe. Yeah, it, I honestly would have much seen it being reversed because Michael Shannon's role in the film is more of a catalyst okay. towards the other things that are happening. And he really, I mean, he's there kind of in the middle. But, you know, Aaron Taylor Johnson's character kind of pops in the very beginning of this story and he kind of plays all the way out and he is really there's a role that he needs to play in the script that is so weird and different that like i don't want to spoil because in this and i will i'm going to spoil a little bit here and hopefully not ruin anything too much but his character is this antagonistic character that in the story he does something to jake gyllenhaal and their family that is really um intense and really hard to deal with sure but he as well kind of the way he plays it, you're like, you're left wondering and you're left questioning. And he does such a good job of making you question things that you then start to wonder, like, is that that? Did that go that way? Am I just imagining things? Maybe he's right. Maybe this isn't what I'm thinking it is. But he, and then at the right moment, just boom, switches perfectly, like on a dime, goes in a completely different direction. Now, Michael Shannon did a solid job with the role that he had, yeah. but he plays much more of kind of a building character. Okay. Like you can tell like it's he's going further, he's going further, he's going further, and then it just kind of happens. Yeah. Whereas with Aaron Taylor Johnson, it's much more nuanced. He's kind of floating back and forth. He's going, he's going crazy, and then he's getting, he's becoming normal, but then he's going crazy again, and he plays this kind of mentally kind of deranged type person so well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. On, a, on a scale of one to 100, I would probably rate this an A. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I would definitely say, again, it has some very dark kind of moments to it. It has some, there's actually, I think, two moments in the script where it is very suspenseful and we're just kind of like, ah, it's actually very abrupt and kind of yeah. freaky. And I think they did that on purpose to kind of make you feel not quite at ease with everything that's going on. But yeah, good, good film. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to check it out. So that is all for our conversation about Nocturnal Animals, Matt. And we are now going to move into a section that we call our upcoming film talk. We're going to be talking about a couple films in here. And the first film we are going to be discussing is what, Matt? John Wick Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Now, if you've been listening on this show, you already know that Joel and I are fans of the original, and we are uh, very eager about this upcoming chapter. And um, just as a kind of a, a brief recap synopsis, so after returning to the criminal underworld to repay a debt, John Wick discovers that a large bounty has been put on his life. And so he is... Being hunted yet again, Joel. Yes. <laughs> um, so, again, and um, again, we talked about this, but 
I'm just really excited for this. Yeah. The first John Wick was a lot of fun. It's cool to see uh, Keanu Reeves back in something that he, it just feels like it's it's made for him, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And um, and this looks like it's up in the ante a little bit. You're going to get a little bit more mythology with the Continental, the cool like Hitman's Hotel. Yeah. And um, just kind of the international take on it. And it's also, it also has... Um, uh, oh gosh, Lawrence Fishburne. I know, and we're mm-hmm. having that Matrix reunion that we've always wanted. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's got like Ruby Rose, Bridget Moynihan, uh, Ian McShane, yeah, and uh, John Leguizamo again, which uh, uh, actually don't normally like as much, but he was good in the first John Wick, and yeah. I'm excited to see him back in this. He's grown on me. He definitely had a run where he were when I was a kid where it was like very annoying, like the past. And... You didn't like him in Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> no, I did not like him there too oh, much. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I would say I'm super excited about this one as well. I think out of the three movies we're going to talk about, this is probably the one that's highest on my list of like really want to go see Yeah. and really must see. And I think one of the things that I like so much about this is that it's a, it's a character driven action film, but it's also got really good visual style. Oh yeah. It's got a really kind of artistic cinematography. So it, it it's not just trying to hit you with, Oh, look at this crazy stuff that's happening, but it tries to go very real realistic I said in a sense with the vis- visuals and what know? we call gun foo gun foo yes gun yeah. Yeah. and um, just uh, another little factoid currently it stands at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah it's got a 9.7 out of 10 on IMDB as well that's pretty rad so they're ranking it pretty high which is really great because I think for me it's been a while since I've seen a, a really solid action kind of character driven type story like this right that I've wanted to see and so I'm hoping this is all good signs I'm hoping it all means good things and we were in for a, a solid, fun action movie. Yes, absolutely excited to see John Wick Chapter 2 this weekend. Hopefully we'll be able to have it uh, and review review it for this next uh, next week's episode. Absolutely. And what's the next one, Matt? Yeah, next one I want to talk about is the highly anticipated animated film, The Lego Batman Movie. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it, what's really cool about this is it's a spinoff of the Lego movie that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah. So... Uh, Will Arnett is the voice of Batman, which is so perfect, by the way. I love he it. He nails it, yeah. <laughs> and I was so not expecting good. that either, but and um, So this, this movie is directed by uh, Chris McKay. Uh, again, we already talked about Will Arnett, but it also has uh, Ray Fiennes, Channing Tatum, uh, Jonah Hill, Rosario Dawson, uh, Zoe Kravitz, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> Pretty uh, much everybody Michael in their brother. Sarah. Yeah. yeah, there are a ton of... A, a ton of great vocal talents. Yeah, in even this. Mariah Carey. Look at that. I know, and um, and here's that here's that factoid again on this. This movie has a 97 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now, mm. um, and it's it's going that trend where it's um, people are just are just into it right now, you know. And it, I think it just goes to show you, you can do something that's that's kind of like a parody movie of sorts. Yeah. And and turn it into something that's really, really entertaining, something that's good, you know, both, uh, uh, you know, on the kids' side and something that they'll enjoy and something that the adults will enjoy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, a lot of the early buzz that's coming out of this film is is really, really positive, and I'm just, it's encouraging. Yeah, I think one of the things that's been interesting for me is I actually looked into um, the director, Chris McKay, and the funny thing was about him is he directed a series of episodes for a show, a couple shows on television, but one of them was called Robot Chicken. Mm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that show or seen yeah. that show. A very dark kind of, you know, adult-oriented, animated yeah. s- sort of show. And it's funny to see him kind of branching into something that's obviously a lot more of like the kid audience. So I think the thing that can happen with kids' films like this is that the, the humor can get lost somewhere along the lines. They can lose that adult 
kind of edge of humor. And so I'm hoping what this means is that he hasn't completely sacrificed the Lego version of things for getting rid of some humor that would kind of appeal to an adult audience. I think the first Lego movie that was one of the crazy things about it is that not only did it have like a solid plot, but that it had humor that was funny for, you know, kids and adults alike. Right. You know, and I think kids are going to go to this as well and they're going to see all the, the like the lights and the visuals yeah. and the action and that's going to be interesting to them. But the humor has to be there for an adult in order for it to be something that we would, you know, want to see. And I think it could have that. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's just one of those surprise things because the Lego movie came out and people are like, Lego movie, what? Yeah, you know, yeah. and it ended up being one of those really like surprisingly like enjoyable movies. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what? Yeah. Um, anyways. So yeah, uh, I'm actually excited to see this. I'm um, hoping to get some more um, uh, positive buzz as, as we lead up to it here. And um, hopefully I'll have... Uh, be able to review that for you guys. Yeah, next week. absolutely. I'm I'm more excited about this than I am about the emoticon film. So <laughs> yes, oh, the emoji movie. Yeah, <laughs> the emoji you're right. Movie, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, totally, totally on board. Cool. And what's the next film we've got going on, Matt? Next film is <laughs> again. I think this is competing for the uh, best picture Oscar category this this uh, next year in 2018. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe um personal top favorite on your guilty pleasure list uh, 50 shades darker <laughs> the the sequel to 50 shades of gray i think that carries a pretty strong accusation you know accusing me of a lot of things when you say something <laughs> like that matt which probably are not the case hey i called you tom brady earlier yeah, okay very fair okay. yeah very fair i'm well i will say this i'm glad that this industry is finally getting some mainstream attention <laughs> i think the, the s&m community has been dying for a film that really just showed oh it for gosh. what it is right and finally oh came gosh. out so it's good that they're they're continuing on with the sequel that you know we've been eagerly anticipating. Okay, so director James Foley, uh, and uh, this is the synopsis on it: is while Christian wrestles with his inner demons, <laughs> Anastasia must uh, confront the anger and envy of the women who came before her. Oh man! So some dramatic tension there oh, with fighting against the women that are trying to get court his eye probably right so if i wasn't excited at all for the first one this one definitely doesn't do anything to add to that excitement no i think this is a film that has a very specific audience right i think that there's they know who they're hitting they're targeting and they're demo going demographing towards i think this is the kind of film that the only reason it's being successful in its own sense is that it's it's a concept and idea that's kind of new enough and novel enough that people are like right. wow this is a mainstream film you know if if this was you know 10 years from now and another film came out like this, then people would probably, it's just going to be a drop in the bucket. Right, right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I'm um, probably not going to see it. I never saw the first one. So yeah, it's got a really low rating right now on IMDb. <laughs> it's got a 4.7 out of 10. I'm not sure what the Rotten Tomato score is, but it'll be one of those films that it's going to come out and its audience is going to be there or it's not going to be there. And right. I, I know with a lot of the marketing and their advertising right now, they're being very gentle with certain aspects of the story I know that they've said that a lot of the interviews that they're doing of the people that are in this film mm -hmm. they're telling them not to talk about specific acts that they okay. committed and right. they did during so they're trying to kind of put kid gloves on it so I gotcha I gotcha I'm not sure if audiences were demanding for more of this but well oddly so. enough the first one made like half a billion dollars so yeah. um, I'm sure this one's going to be probably in that ballpark but um, you're not going to get that money from me, Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> um, yeah, so that ends our upcoming film talk segment, um, which actually takes us into our next segment I love to call Tube Talk. Tube Talk. Tube Talk. This is where we talk about everything related to what's going on new in the world of television, 
um, at least the stuff that we we can cover. You yes. know, there's yeah. so much TV these days; it's absolutely ridiculous. There absolutely but we, is. But um, want to get to a few things. Um, and first, I actually want to start off because I I'm kind of a a fanboy when it comes to um, these. I'm going to talk about these two shows kind of simultaneously, and that is The Flash and Arrow. Yes. Um, and these are part of the CW's. Uh, if you don't watch, that's uh, part of the CW's like small, uh, small screen universe of yeah. TV superheroes. Obviously, The Flash and Arrow. And um, The Flash, I really enjoy probably more so than the two. But it actually just recently came back on the air mm-hmm. um, in its third season. I'm all caught up. The next one uh, actually uh, is airing tonight, and um, I. As a whole, just to kind of give a, a, a general feeling of season three. Yeah. Um, there's enough newness to it that's keeping me engaged. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I keep running into the same, it keeps running into this problem where it has the, the characters have the same conflicts over yeah. and over again. I yeah. can say the same thing about Arrow. Mm-hmm. And I know I've talked to you about this before, but it's it's the same conflict and it drives me nuts. It's, <laughs> it's when, it and, and I'm sure you've you've seen this before, all you people listening, because yeah. it happens all the time in TV. It's, hey, uh, we just found out this thing, but let's keep it a secret from these other people because <laughs> we either want to protect them or we don't think they can handle it yeah. um, or that sort of thing. And it ends up just blowing up and it ends up being a terrible idea that they kept that secret. And it happens over and over and yeah. over again. Yeah. It's happened a lot on The Flash. It's happened a lot already this season. Um, and then same same with Arrow. Uh, yeah. uh and as, as far as The Flash is concerned, I think it's really fun. I have mm-hmm. a lot of fun with this show. Um, I, I think they're setting it up to go somewhere pretty fun. They kind of got through a lot of these like explanation episodes in the first half of the season as yeah. to why things happened at the end of the previous season. Yeah. So I felt like they got over that, and now they're able to move forward. Uh, I'm, I'm still optimistic about it. It's still a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, love me some Cisco. <laughs> um, and... and uh, Barry, if he can just kind of get over himself every now and then, I think I think he's going to be just fine. But you, um, you're not quite as far on the Flash. No, I'm on two. I think the fifth episode. I corrected myself. Fifth episode of the second season of Flash, and I've not watched any of the Arrow. Right, right. So, yeah. and it's quite a commitment. I understand that for sure. It really is, and I'm taking it on. I'm trying to because I could be jumping around to a bunch of different shows at once, and so I'm trying to just stick with Flash for now and get through that. Right. And then I'm gonna go back probably and watch the Arrow and get through that. And so the funny thing is, is that you know since they are this kind of multiple universe thing, right. watching one show at a time is really interesting because I'm getting like snippets of stories that are happening from the arrow right you know or like and they're, uh, legends of tomorrow and yeah supergirl yeah right and it's funny to see kind of how that's happening because they're in there's certain times where they do it well and they're kind of like treating it like it's new information but then there's other times like they assume that like you knew that the arrow turned into the green arrow or <laughs> right. joined the secret cabal of groups of people you know <laughs> right, right, right. so it's like you can tell that there's elements that are at play there but i would say the overall sense that i'm getting from the show the flash right now is is similar to yours i'm really enjoying it i think it's got some good humor it's got some some lighthearted stuff. It does get deep at times when it yeah. needs to, yeah. and it's not scared of having a person get shot or killed. Um, but I am frustrated by that sense of, you know, hey, I have this really important thing that I should tell somebody, but I'm just not going to do it because right. I need dramatic tension here. <laughs> I hate that so I, much. The one reason why that's okay at the moment for me is because I feel like when they finally do reveal it, 
there is a natural reaction to it from people. It's mm-hmm. not just like, well, we just need to reveal it now and people are just going to have to deal with it. It's like people get pissed off and they're like, why didn't you tell me this sooner? You know right, what I mean? Right. Or when it finally does get revealed, it, it, it carries impact with it. Right. But it does get old. And I think the other thing that I'm not enjoying at times too much, which these are minor gripes. So I'm, I'm just talking about, you know, things I'm not enjoying, but I'm not enjoying the fact that it feels like a lot of the scenarios that get presented are kind of setups for stories that they feel like need to get developed, you know? So like, say there's this bad relationship that's happening between two of the characters. They'll somehow introduce an evil villain that forces those two characters to work out, <laughs> right? you know, yeah. that forces them to get together and work things out to, to fit. In typical TV, right? TV very typical fashion. TV yeah. fashion. It's, <laughs> it's more like the plot informs the characters instead of the characters informing the plot. Right. And so, but overall I'm having fun with it. I'm enjoying it. I'm, yeah gonna see about arrow when i get a chance to. right and and i wouldn't even say hurry that much i started watching the arrow or i just started watching arrow because uh the flash i knew the flash was crossing over i was really liking the flash i was like yeah. all right i want to see what's happening here yeah um but that kind of takes us into arrow um and i'm mm-hmm. caught up on that we're in the fifth season of arrow and i felt like arrow has kind of is not been as good the last couple of seasons but i, I can see hints of it of it getting better. Yeah. Um, and one of that, one elements of Arrow um, is there are flashbacks to his, essentially Oliver Queen was stranded on an island for five years, shipwrecked on an island for five years. And yeah. this is where he learned all of his awesome archery skills and ninja <laughs> skills. Yeah. So, um, he had to shoot those coconuts out of that right. tree. Right. So this yeah. is the fifth, fifth season and it's concurrent to what's actually happening um, in the show. So mm-hmm. it's, it's his fifth year of being, you know, on this Island and we're, and we're getting, you know, his fifth year oh, that's interesting. flashbacks. Yeah. No, that's a pretty cool way to do that. The flashbacks have not been that good as the last, <laughs> the last couple yeah. of seasons, oh, but gotcha. this season has actually been my favorite part of the show has been the flash flashbacks. Oh wow. Um, and I, I really like, it. it's a little bit more, uh, more grounded a little bit more mm. realistic the last couple of seasons have been dealing with like magic a little bit Ooh. and i know and it's kind of yeah. just kind of gone off a little bit not in its favor but um they're they're bringing it back there but i would say the one thing that they've done to that is they've added a bunch of new characters mm-hmm. um and and when i'm not fully on board when you when you're introducing a, a one character gradually you get a chance to learn and to grow with yeah. them right but yeah. when you introduce four new characters that are going to be regulars the whole time it's yeah. you don't it's harder to grow and to start caring about those characters we're at a point now with last week's episode that we're really starting to to finally care maybe about a couple more of them gotcha um it's a lot to juggle i'm i'm yeah. yeah. Anyway, so there's this. If you have, if you're caught up, I'm still not on board with Felicity. <laughs> I'm upset with her, but um, but how you dare know, Felicity again? And Arrow's still dealing with it. I'm going to keep secrets. Yeah. I'm going to keep secrets and not tell anybody. Yeah, plot. Yeah, yeah. I hate yeah. that so much. But yep. we've already uh, talked to that to death. But um, r- real quick, I want to touch on another one that just dropped on Netflix this last week. It's called The San Clarita Diet. Yes. Okay. So it's a Netflix original. Kind of an odd like. Uh, comedic take on the whole zombie mm-hmm. element, you know? Yeah. So um, Timothy Oliphant, uh, Drew Barrymore, they're both realtors. Uh, she starts turning into a zombie and starts like needing to eat people and stuff like that. And kind of her whole family kind of, yeah, kind of comes around her and is like <laughs> supporting her and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, we need to try and figure out how to make this work or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they go from there. I watched the first episode mm. Just because of my lack of time and wanting to spend uh, other time on other shows, yeah. 
I only watched the first episode. I, my problem with this is there are too many characters that aren't realistic. Actually, none of the characters are realistic. <laughs> Which is pretty funny to say about a show about a person that turns into a zombie. Right, but yeah. but I mean, even when you look at The Walking Dead, there are characters that that are feel that feel like they could be real people. Yeah, you know. Yeah, this they're not. They're everybody's a cartoon. Everybody's an exaggeration of 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 some cliche. Yeah, and and it it makes it hard to connect with people. And I feel like me personally, that's how that's how people latch on to shows. You know, yeah. you know. I know that some people watch shows purely for the humor of it, but for me, I got to connect emotionally with a character and I can't do that. Everything, everybody is a cartoon. Nobody's taking anything seriously. Uh, The scenarios, even before the zombie stuff happens are not like real scenarios. Like people don't act like that. Yeah. So that's my problem with it. Um, I have a friend who's telling me to to give it a little bit more time. So maybe I will, maybe I won't, but um, I wouldn't check this out if you were young though. It's very... uh, uh, violent. Um, okay. And it's very, a lot of adult themes. So I just, I wouldn't go there or at least have it, I wouldn't have it playing with kids around at all. Um, yeah. but yeah, any thoughts on that? I, I haven't seen it yet. I didn't really know. I think you're giving me a better picture of maybe how to approach it. I think with a show like this, obviously the concept is really out there and kind of strange right. in comparison to a normal world environment, normal right. real world <laughs> rules and environment. And so you can kind of approach this one of two ways. You can do what I think is when it's done well, which is kind of like an arrested development scenario, which is kind of like they exist in a real world, right. but the people that are involved in this are just characters and weird and quirky and funny. And they've got their own kind of rules that, that won their life. Yeah. But then that comes in conflict with the normal world. Yeah. And then that's kind of the dramatic tension. And it makes you kind of have this sense of caring for the characters because they're facing things that that are due to the normal world environment so you can do that well and then there's the other side things which is kind of like if you've ever seen a show called better off ted which is kind of like um it, it's like it, it exists in its own kind of rules and environment in its own sort of world and so i i liked i like both styles but it it can sometimes get a little bit messy when you don't necessarily set up realistic rules or yeah. realistic kind of connectable characters in either scenario, um, yeah. but more so in the secondary one with like the better off Ted, where it's kind of like this own made up world. It's kind of fictional and everything's kind of silly. Right. So I, I would say that overall, I'm interested to maybe check out an episode, yeah. but with a show like this, I would probably have to give it at least a couple episodes. Yeah, probably. It's yeah. probably a good call. Um, so this, this next show, this actually this last one I want to talk about just for, for a few minutes here. Um, and you actually had a chance to watch it. Um, we saw part one, uh, it was last night and part two is actually airing tonight. Haven't had a chance to see it yet, but it's uh, 24 legacy. Um, yes. why don't actually you go ahead and kind of start off on your, on your thoughts on this? Yeah. So I did not watch 24, the original series. I will say that very clearly. And so there's probably people out there right now that are like, what? You didn't watch 24. What? It was such you a great show. You didn't watch 24? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I watched an episode and we talked about this. It was so crazy when <laughs> I did try and watch it that I'm just like, wow, I would have to start at the beginning. I don't even know where to start. Right. Um, but it didn't really hit me as all that kind of interesting, cool. I thought the concept was cool, which is to like run the show on the basis of being an actual set of 24 hours. Like I thought that was cool. In real time. Yeah. In real time. I thought the concept was cool, but it just didn't really do anything in and of itself to really connect me to it. And I think right. with the show, it was similar. I, I don't know if it was maybe just the first episode of the way they handle things with this kind of a show, but there was some stuff they set up. You know, there's a couple story elements that they kind of set up immediately to like kind of say, okay, these are going to be the vehicles that 
we get into the action, we get into everything. But there was only, I would say, maybe two action scenes the whole episode. The first one was over really quickly and right was at the kind beginning, of right? yeah, right at the be- yeah. well, right. I'm talking about when they first come in and they take Corey Hawkins oh, okay. captive, yeah, 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 and yeah. there's kind of an action scene there when he breaks out, yeah. yep. and that's over super quick. And then there's another one when they face off the terrorists, face off against Corey again yeah. at the end of the episode, and. The, the the main problem that I had is that at this point, I, I really don't care about anyone or anything. Right. There wasn't really any elements to the story that I'm left feeling like, okay, somebody just got shot. I, that's sad. I mean, yeah. wh- why does it matter? And right. it was good action for television. I think that yeah. the action was decent enough for television, but it wasn't really suspenseful for me. It yeah. didn't really leave me with a lasting connection to any of the characters or really wanting to get into the world. And there was a moment where... um. Corey's wife, I think it's played by Anna Diop, Nicole Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, she says something which just came completely out of left field to me. And it just felt so like they were just trying to set up issues, which is, you know, she's she's gone and she's staying basically with um, Corey's brother. Right. And because the terrorists are after them. And, and she basically says something of, I realized today that he can't get out of this mindset. He can't get out of this world of military and, you know, being part of this secret right. society. And it just so came out of left field and it just so felt like everything, they were just trying to manipulate a connection there or a a moment where you could just feel bad to her because literally the entire episode, he's just trying to save her life. Like he's just trying to protect her and save her life. But then she's saying that that means that he's stuck. So I don't know, Matt, what what are your thinking thoughts? Contrast you, I love 24. I watched it as it aired uh, growing up back when it was like... Not even a thing to stream, man. <laughs> and <laughs> wow. um, so I love it. Um, huge, huge uh, Kiefer Sutherland Got fan. The 24 t-shirt. Right, yeah. yeah with the yeah. running clock, right? Yep. And <laughs> anyway, so huge, huge fan. Uh, I just felt okay mm-hmm. about this episode. Yeah. Um, you're right, though. I think I think the the battle that this show has going for it is that it's gotta it's gotta get you into these characters yeah um when and i've seen all of 24 multiple times like yeah. it's just one of those shows I, I like to revisit every now and then yeah and um I, honestly i think the original did it better in setting up uh you liking uh Kiefer sutherland's character better um just kind of connecting with him a little bit more yeah. quickly yeah um cory hawkins is great i think the acting is is just fine in this yeah. show i thought the acting was good um but the everything was very generic. Twenty four. If you're if you're a fan of Twenty Four, if you're like really love Twenty Four and you've seen all of it, you're gonna see a lot of similar story beats um, and yeah. elements kind of come into play. Okay, so we got a mole. That's pretty typical to <laughs> to every season of Twenty Four, multiple times perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you have uh, this side plot. You don't really know how it's connected to the main story, but they got to go there so you can give the character, the hero character, enough time to drive to his next location. Gotcha. Because it's all in real time. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, so it's it's okay. It didn't. I, I can't. I feel like with this type of a show that's serialized, that's got this high concept of being in real time. Yeah. That you have to give it. You have to almost rate it after you see a season, or at yeah. least a good chunk of the season. That's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. Right. So um, I think I just got to give it more time. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. There's a character they 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 gave a character reference in the uh, in this first one. I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool nod. Um, and then they also. Um, in the marketing, there's a character coming back from the original series that we're going to see real soon. Right. Um, Jack Bauer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Tony Almeida, yeah, there coming back. Go. So yeah. um, I'm 
I'm excited to see how that's going to all pan out. And I really hope that we can get some sort of closure on what's going on with Kiefer, especially how it left, um, right. left the, the last season of 24. Yeah. But I, I think it's okay. Um, we'll see what happens with it. I'll mm. probably, we'll talk about it again after we get some more episodes. Under the yeah. Bar. I think I'm left with a sense of good action, but just felt a bit forced. Sure. Good acting and everything. So, yeah. yeah. So that is going to wrap things up for us here on the podcast. And we are just so grateful to have you guys joining us. We just want to remind you here at the end, some ways to connect with us. Uh, you can check out our website, which is realreviewmedia.com. Or you can also check us out on Facebook. And we're posting a ton of stuff on both sites. Um, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash realreviewmedia. And as always, real is spelled R-E-E-L like a film reel. So uh, we would love to hear from you as well. If you want to just get in contact with us, let us know your thoughts on uh, any of the shows or movies that we've been talking about here. You can do that at realreviewmedia at gmail.com. So that is it. Matt, anything last for us to talk about? Nah. Nope. All right. Keep it classy. Keep it classy. Well, it has been real. It's been real.